You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. Welcome back. Uh, Peter Riedlinger is here standing in for Michael Avery this evening. Uh, we now move on to the brand father. We are speaking to Jeremy Sampson, the MD of Brand Finance Africa. Good evening, Jeremy. Petri, good to be with you. Welcome to the brand father slot. Thank you very much. Uh, I should be saying for welcome to you. but <laughs> <laughs> So a couple of interesting, interesting things happened this last week. Well, obviously lots of stuff in financial markets, but one that really kind of rocked uh, you know, I guess the the world of brands and so on. Uh, a certain famous footballer called Cristiano Ronaldo at a press conference removed two bottles of Coca-Cola, picked up a bottle of water, took a sip and shouted, drink water. And uh, Coca-Cola lost around $4 billion in market cap minutes afterwards. Well, it's interesting how the sports stars are almost uh, muscling in on things, I think, somewhat belatedly. No, apart from Ronaldo, and we'll return to him in a second, uh, as you know, the, the French player, Mr. Pogba, did something similar uh, in the next uh, day, uh, removing the Heineken, and I saw an Italian player doing something similar as well, so it starts with a whole chain. But when you think that Ronaldo, and a lot of people don't realize this, has over 300 million followers. Just, just on Facebook, he's got 240 million followers. So whatever he does is a big deal. Now, in Coke's case, apparently the share price went down about 1.5%. It's probably recovered by now. But even so, as you say, that was four billion US dollars knocked off the, the market cap. And it just shows you the incredible influence that these people have. You know, just in the news with Anne speaking five minutes ago, Nadal pulling out of Wimbledon. We've had Osaka pulling out of the, the women's in France, Roman Galos. And this is where I think more and more we're going to see these top sports stars um, almost expressing themselves in a way that people are going to be surprised by because they have huge, huge influence. Yeah, and I think as long as they're using that influence for good, right? I mean, um, you know, no hate to Coca-Cola. Uh, it's a great share to own and all that. But, um, you know, it's maybe not the healthiest product. And if, if someone like Cristiano Ronaldo and or other sports stars, um, you know, promote healthy lifestyles, drink water, um, for example, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I guess you there have some damage to the Coca-Cola brand, but you have um, an increase in value in someone like Cristiano Ronaldo's brand, right? Well, you're absolutely right. And I think Ronaldo's main sponsor, and that adds up to over 50 million US a year, is um, Nike. And um, the fact of the matter is someone might forget that for a short time, I think he was sponsored by Pepsi, the competitor to Coke. Uh, but as one wag said when he moved the, the Coke bottles away and picked up water, the water was probably juiced, produced by the Coca-Cola company as well. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it squares itself. But, you know, th this is where it is very interesting what he's doing. And uh, why not? <laughs> yeah, but I saw an interesting stat. Um 76% of sports sponsorship dollars, I guess, uh, is from unhealthy food and drink brands. It's, it is a very interesting stat. Um, I think I saw it first on CNN and uh, someone had crunched the numbers through and looked at it. But when you actually look at the 
I see they don't call them sports sponsorship anymore. They call them sports partners. But when you look at all the partners that these big events have, you know, there are layers and layers and layers uh, of partners, and it's probably getting up to close on 100. You now you have five or six at the top layer, and then so you go down the line. But they have different sectors. And you know, for a long time, for instance, um, English football, the, the Premier League, was sponsored by a potato crisp company, Walkers. Right. You can't get much unhealthy than that. But when you think of the appeal, especially to younger people, um, they're very susceptible to this sort of advertising. And when they see their stars, so-called crunching or drinking their favorites, uh, it has a huge influence on the market. Yeah, I guess that endorsement, um, you know, of somebody that you admire of a product, for example, it leads you to leads you to buy it. Um, I guess this takes me to my next sort of question. I mean, in this context um, and in a world, in a post-pandemic world, or you know, let's call it maybe maybe not post-pandemic yet, we're still in it. Um, I mean, how do brands stay relevant in a in a world where you know the traditional marketing methods are largely inaccessible to most of the market? It's that's a very, very good question because it's a very difficult thing to do. In a lot of managements, they'll say the first thing you do if you want to chop your budget is the marketing budget. Mm. And that's arguably the worst thing to do, especially during these times. You've got to have, well, you've got to maintain your profile. You've got to maintain a pre presence. And I think one of the key words that people forget is you've got to keep connectivity. Um, and it was someone from Unilever I saw speaking about that particular word, and they said, connectivity, one, with your customers and consumers, but two, with your suppliers, three, with you know, the supermarkets, etc., all your business partners. If you don't keep that connectivity, and I think one of the uh, add-ons to that as well is that employers need to keep connectivity with their employees at the moment because mm. they're not going into the office you're not socially meeting up with each other and you know, the computer has limitations being on a team a teams or a zoom call has limitations it's one form of connectivity yes but sometimes you need a lot more than that so you i would argue you've got to keep your profile keep your presence especially if your competitive set are withdrawing it gives you the opportunity. And this is one of the arguments of Procter & Gamble, the huge American group. They say when the going gets tough, we get going. We use our muscle. Mm. We have got financial deep pockets, and we will use them during these times because the good times will come back over time. Yeah, and that, uh, that sort of staying in touch with your potential customers or your existing customers or just the market at large, um, that makes a lot of sense, I guess. I think. Well, when you think about it, no, sorry to interrupt, no. but when you think about it, how many people have gone quiet at the moment? You actually just stand back and think, when did you last hear from this company or that company or this brand or that brand? And a lot of people have gone silent. And I think that's going to be very bad going down the line for them because then they've got to sort of reimpose themselves. They've got to try and claw back that market share that they've worked so hard to gain, which mm. they're now losing. Yeah, this actually, so I've actually got a different, sort of totally different question for you. So a lot of brands, for example, um, it's Pride Month, I believe. Um, a lot of brands have changed their, you know, profile pictures or whatever it is on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, to have the flag, the Pride flag as part of their, you know, as a backdrop to their logo. Um, which I think is obviously, um, you know, showing support for a cause and all that kind of stuff. But... What people on Twitter, the endless uh, pool of trolls of the internet, uh, point out is that, you know, 
this brand, for example, has in Europe and the US and all everywhere else has changed their profile picture to include the uh, the pride flag, except in the Middle East, <laughs> right? Um, that's almost as if that backfires because people are now saying, well, you're hypocritical. You'll do it in in the US and you'll do it in the Western world, but in a market where uh, you're afraid of the consequences of making this bold statement, you rather make no statement at all. Well, and that's absolutely fair comment. Yeah. I think in the past, and by the past I mean 10, 15 years ago, further, yeah. you could get away with things like this. Yeah. But now you've got social media. Yeah. And as you say, whether it's the trolls on Twitter or whatever, people notice things. Yeah. People have um, a soapbox to get onto or a platform to get onto, and they will say what they think. Yeah. And that's where I think companies increasingly have got to be incredibly careful not to be hypocritical. And you don't just take advantage of one opportunity, one month, as is happening now. Yeah. You've got to make sure it's built into your values and, in fact, your, your modus operandi. Yeah, because it seems almost like a bandwagon that everybody jumps on. Exactly. And, um, you know, the sincerity of it is questioned. If you're, if you're willing to make that statement here, but you're not willing to make it down the road, do you really mean it, right? Yep. Um, all right, then I want to chat a little bit about, you, you guys put out a report, um, the Europe 500 2021 report, so the 500 biggest and most valuable brands uh, in Europe. And there's obviously some uh, some things that aren't surprising, Ferrari number one as the strongest European brand, um, Lego at number four, something I'm very happy about, I used to love me some Legos. Uh, and then in the sort of most valuable brand category, Mercedes-Benz retains uh, the number one spot, T-Mobile climbs a few spaces, VW, Shell, these are all, okay, except for T-Mobile, but it's it's Mercedes, VW, Shell, BMW, Porsche, BP, these are car companies and petrol companies. How, <laughs> how are they the most valuable brands um, in Europe? Well, because that's the world we still live in. But as we all know, that's changing. Um, and uh, Tesla in the States has turned the whole thing upside down. Interesting, uh, seeing a report today that apparently the, sh the share price of Ford has started moving up. And they, they seem to think that there's a turnaround coming from there because they've adopted um, the new technologies. But the fact of the matter is, in Europe, it's still very much petrol-driven. But as we know, practically all these companies are developing or introducing electric cars. So that's coming down the line. But as we speak, petrol still rules. That, mm. That's the reality. Although, you know, you, you, you hear of companies saying, well, by 2030, well, 2030 is still eight and a half years away. And, you know, when you actually look at the companies like Shell, like BP, we know they're trying to reinvent themselves. Even, you know, Total um, having a relaunch of its name and identity a few weeks ago. Mm seeing the future coming down the line very fast. Yeah, and even, um, you know, like Royal Dutch Shell, for example, um, you know, you, you associate them with oil fields and, and petrol, but they're actually, they've got, I think, 136,000 uh, electric charging points throughout Europe. I mean, it's yes, a lot. And, and this is where, as you say, things are changing. Um, a lot of people think uh, no, electric cars are something that will only have a range of, say, 15 kilo 50 kilometers. But now we're hearing of ranges of 400, 500. And this is where I think the technology is changing dramatically. The power of the batteries, the cost of the batteries, the weight of the batteries, all these things. And this is where we're in an incredibly fast-changing world. And it's not slowing down. And this is where I think if we look back from 2030 or so um, at some of these gas guzzlers, although I must say it still amazes me in the States how these big SUVs, gas guzzlers, 
still seem to be getting very good sales figures despite mm. all the comments. And this is where I think in the rural areas especially, guys want their gas guzzler. Yeah, they want a big bucky or a big truck. Um, so I, I'm quite curious, actually. So the the methodology that you use to value these brands, so you've got two categories, right? You've got most valuable and strongest. I mean, how do you calculate that? Well, this is something that brand finance has developed over about 25 years. Um, there are two international standards. Um, one is on the actual financial value. Um, that's 10668, as I recall. And then there's a second uh, standard which came out um, a couple of years ago on brand equity, which is more the brand strength side, as you say. So the financial values can be uh, worked out and approved um, and will stand up to audit or whatever. Uh, in fact, we work with the big four in any case. And then the brand strength, as I say, is more to do with perhaps the reputational issues, the softer issues, how strong the brand is. Does it have a future? Because, you know, sometimes you look at the brand and think, well, is it going to be still around or still as dominant in five, ten years' time? Zoom, for so example. One, yeah, well, exactly. No, Zoom. You think this time last year, you know, there was the debacle on the New York Stock Exchange where there were two Zooms and people <laughs> putting their money into the wrong one. <laughs> and that's how things can change, as you say. Do we talk about Skyping anymore? Um, where's Skype? You know, it seems to have almost disappeared. It's been muscled out of the place. We're all talking Teams and Zoom and that's it. But where will we be? And I think, again, things are going to evolve. Things are going to change. Um, and coming back to your very first question, how the hell do you stay relevant at these times? with great difficulty, but you've got to keep on investing. Yeah, you've got to keep, uh, keep putting a message out there, I guess. Um, and I, I, Okay, I'm going to stray a little bit off, off topic here, but um, you know, you've got this sort of content marketing phenomena that's happening on a micro level, right? So small people, individuals can start a TikTok account and get a million followers and uh, you, you make, you know, one minute sort of micro content videos. Um, either teaching concepts or doing, you know, makeup videos or, uh, you know, just funny jokes or whatever the case is, these guys are growing increasingly influential over traditional marketing methods. I mean, would it be wise to, you know, what is the real value, I guess, is the question around influencer marketing versus traditional, um, you know, traditional media marketing? Well, I think the challenge to all marketers is to just look at absolutely everything, 360 degrees. You can't uh, shut your eyes to certain sections. As we know, some will come and some will go very quickly, but it doesn't mean to say that they're not going to have considerable influence for a, a short period of time. It just amazes me when you actually look at some of the names of the new brands being launched, especially out of California, um, you know, around where you know, you've got the Facebooks and you've got the Microsofts and that whole community there is generating huge amounts of new techniques, new technology. Often they're branding them with names that are almost unpronounceable, and sometimes they're going to take off, and sometimes they aren't. But then when you've seen Uber coming out of there, you've got Lyft, lots of different things happening. And I think the test of any brand is, is it going to be around after five years or so? And a lot of these probably won't be. But on the other hand, the amount of money that's changing hands as investors are piling in are absolutely incredible as well, especially when you compare rands to US dollars. So big money is being paid for the opportunity, which may or may not happen. Yeah, right. And I think um, 
I mean, I guess another, you know, is the is the name of the company really that important? Or, uh, I mean, a company like Uber, for example, uh, you know, in the beginning that name is really weird, or Airbnb, or you know, something like that, or Apple. You call a computer company Apple. It makes no sense. The question is, though, I mean, does the name really matter, or does the product or service sort of define the value of that brand? Well, it's really the whole thing. You, you've got to have a name to start with that is trademarkable. Mm. If you can't trademark the name, you don't own it. It's not your property. So you're wasting your time putting your effort into something that's not trademarked. But then it's got to be pronounceable. It's got to be distinctive. Um, it mustn't mean rude things in certain countries. And we right. can always have a, a session on names like that. But a lot of the names that we know, the brands, now even like Lego, what does that stand for? But it's distinctive. It's only four letters. Um, and it stands out. And everyone, the minute you say Lego, will think of having fun with all right plastic which is going to change yeah. this is where it's distinctive and that's a key thing and then it's how that brand behaves what you build into it and again staying relevant all the time with the different generations and the different segments you're dealing with as long as you're not selling your soul as such or compromising your own values uh, by trying to stay relevant which i think some brands have made a big mistake um you know, saying, well, we support pride, except in the Middle East. <laughs> you know, that seems to have backfired for them tremendously. Well, absolutely. And the one main value that should relate to any brand, and we haven't mentioned it so far this evening, is trust. And that comes down to who do you trust? Um, and when it comes to the pride issue, that becomes a, a key indicator as well. At all times, we want something we can trust, we can rely on, we can know where we stand. And so little in life today is something you can trust and this is where sometimes people will fall back on their brands and the values that it stands for now even the Ronaldo's when he makes a stand against coke but he's with nike all the time and they've been with him and they have a wonderful relationship nike is standing by tiger woods as they have done over many many years mm. and that comes from a relationship with a relationship well with the founder of nike phil knight and this is where our trust is for the long term as it were and keeping that trust is incredibly difficult today as we're seeing yeah okay well thank you very much for your for your insights this evening jeremy i enjoyed the conversation um i, I think it too. thank you th this is a very broad vast topic i think there's a lot to learn i think it's one of those things that you can sort of go down the rabbit hole uh for for hours and hours at a time so thank you very much for your for your time this evening that was jeremy samson the md of brand finance africa